You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Happy New Year to all the fans in Long Island and New York and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy New Year Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. What a year. We had our ups and our downs. I would say this was a very bad year for me. I lost my nephew this year, so it's been a heartfelt year for me. But all in all, 2022, I believe this is going to be a strong year, not only for me, but for the network, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, our show at 103.9, The Weekend Crunch. And throughout the country, all the sports fans with all the New York sports, hopefully with the new year We get good football for the next year, good draft picks for the Giants and the Jets, because I think both teams will have two top 10 picks this year going into the draft. Hockey, the Islanders and the Rangers could very much make the playoffs this year if the Islanders start to play. Hopefully with this little break with COVID-19, it does benefit the Islanders. I do believe so. But before we do that, Speedy Petey, what's going on? First of all, Happy New Year to everybody out there wishing you all the best and success in 2022. Hopefully better than the 2021, as I think a a lot of people definitely have gone through ups and downs. You were mentioning your nephew, unfortunately, passing away. I had to deal with the same thing with my grandfather, who passed away earlier this month. There were some good things as well. Got a lot of nice experiences with the network. We got to meet Doc Gooden, which was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Two of my brothers graduated, one from high school, one from college. There was definitely some positives, but some negatives as well, as many of us have had to endure this year, for sure. Both of us getting COVID was a big hit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the surgeries I had, I had neck yeah, surgery right. and I- hip surgery. It was definitely an off year for me, and I'm just trying to heal and trying to make 2000 2022 better than 2021 but absolutely all in all i just hope all the fans and i wish everybody a happy new year i hope everybody had a good time last night for new year's eve hopefully you didn't cause any trouble or get arrested drinking and driving or doing other things which we can't talk about on radio don't drop the ball well they already dropped the ball (laughs) yes they did (laughs) i think it's going to be a very special year we're going to have a very special guest we will be talking to espn cleveland radio show host matt fontana very nice guy he's very big in cleveland one of the big broadcasters out there. Very funny, too. And I'm sure you guys will see his personality when he gets on the show. But we will get into John Madden passing away. The very special, very well-known broadcaster slash coach slash video gamist. We will get into week 16 and 17. The NFL season's almost over. It's crazy how close the AFC and the NFC is with some of these teams. And who's going to squeak into the playoffs and who might just drop the ball and completely fall out. Baltimore looks like one of those teams that could. A team that I really expected to be a contender this year with Lamar Jackson. He started off very strong in the beginning of the season and completely fell off. We will also get into some basketball as the New York Knicks again fluctuate on great basketball and bad basketball. 
Tom Thibodeau looks like he's going to have a heart attack or a stroke. They look terrible against Detroit, even though they pulled off a win, thanks to Burks. The stories coming out for the NBA that Steph Curry is the lead go-getter for the number one MVP category. I disagree. I think when you look at the numbers, Kevin Durant has had a better year. And Kevin Durant said something interesting about in Brooklyn when Steph Curry was there, how the fans were screaming Steph Curry as MVP. So it's very surprising being that it's Brooklyn and they're screaming MVP for Steph Curry. Maybe Knicks fans were trolling him. (laughs) Who knows? But we'll get into what Kevin Durant said and what Kevin Durant thinks. And the Brooklyn Nets just completely dominating the Eastern Conference. And we will squeeze in a little baseball conversation. Buck Showalter was introduced as the new manager for the New York Mets. Where does this bold for the New York Mets? He's been taking his tour on all different radio stations here in New York. We will get into where I think baseball will be in the new year and when is it going to start. Is there going to be a 162-game season? So we'll get into that a little bit later. But first things first, we're going to get into some football. And losing a guy like John Madden is like losing a grandfather. It's like losing one of the faces of football from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and even today when you talk about Madden, the video game. But what was really lost this past week in the NFL was a guy that really stood out from all the rest. We talk about his voice, his understanding of the game, the movies that he was in, The Replacements, one of my all-time favorite movies, and Little Giant. Everything that he stood for for football and the voice of what football was in the 80s and the 90s. When you look at what John Madden was, wasn't just a coach, wasn't just the voice of a video game. He really stood out from all the rest. When you compare some of the greatest coaches in NFL history, he had a better winning percentage than one of the greatest coaches of all time from Green Bay. You know who I'm talking about, right, Speedy? Mm, Lombardi. Vince Lombardi. And then you talk about Bill Belichick. Is John Madden one of the greatest coaches of all time? I would put him in the top seven, top eight greatest coaches of all time. With even a short career, he didn't have the years like Bill Belichick or Vince Lombardi. But what he is to football was, to me, what my grandfather was when it comes to learning sports and understanding the game of football. And when I had the opportunity to listen to him on the radio, John Madden and the other great people that he worked with, the great players that he worked with, and just who he was as a broadcaster. He was one of the greatest voices in all of TV, radio, broadcasting we've ever heard in any sport. Yes, and when you talk about the modern era post AFL-NFL merger of football. He's kind of one of those guys that you would consider kind of like a founding father of it. One of the greatest coaches of all time. Best winning percentage of any coach with 100 or more wins in their career. You're right, he didn't coach as long as some of the other ones, but when he did, he had some of the most dominant seasons as a coach. Then he went to the broadcasting end of it, which he influenced a lot of different broadcasters, play-by-play announcers, and even coaches and players later on to get into broadcasting careers. Now you're seeing pretty much every broadcast booth among the NFL have a former player in it or a former coach in it, a former GM, like a guy like Steve Mariucci. There are different instances that John Madden has touched throughout the game of football and so many different types of personalities and generations too. From the 70s, he had different types of players when the game was completely different, a running 
in defense league in the 80s. He became a broadcaster and started to get more into an offensive league, and there's a lot of parity in it. And now, obviously, today is a big quarterback league. And between that and the broadcasting and then the video game, the influence he had on those video games where he wanted something very realistic in comparison to what they had with Tech Mobile and NFL Blitz and Joe Montana had his own game. He wanted something realistic and strategic, like the way he liked to coach and the way people had a passion for football. He wanted to bring that same passion that he has for the game to that game and to the movies he was in. Now a lot of these younger generations of football fans know who John Madden is. Not as much as a coach, just for the games and for the movies, too. The pop culture end of it. So on so many bases, John Madden was involved in the game of football and just the entertainment value of football. And he will definitely be missed by the entirety of the football community. When you talk about John Madden, you talk about Pat Summerall. And Pat Summerall was the play-by-play guy. And the color was John Madden. And what Tony Romo is on TV with Nance. If you listen to Al Michael and who he is, and you're going to hear a lot what Al Michael has to say about John Madden this Sunday when he's going to really preach on what John Madden was. Al Michael is what he is today because of John Madden. And he had his first opportunity on television to work with John Madden after Pat Summerall obviously retired from broadcasting. So when you compare and contrast and you talk about the great John Madden and all the different people that he really brought together when it came to football and really influenced the game of football too, guys like Bob Costas and Tony Dungy, who's really mm-hmm. developed as a good broadcaster. And then you look at what the NFL Network did with the two-day documentary on John Madden and all the different players and the people that remember, the Peyton Mannings, the Tom Brady's, the Jerry Rice's of the world the Ladanian Tomlinson's of the world. Some of the greatest players in football history could speak so highly of John Madden. 85 years old, he absolutely will be missed. And anybody that can't sit here and say that they've never played the Madden video game, I don't know what the heck you're playing. It's been the number one sports game in history. It sold more Madden games than any sports game in history. What he has and what he really influenced, not only to the video games and the sports industry, but really to the fans, the younger fans that probably forever will remember John Madden, not only because of his video game, because of the voice and what he influenced to the game of football. So to the Madden family and to all the fans that understood and maybe didn't understand John Madden, this is a man that will always be remembered, always be influenced through the game of football. So rest in peace to the great John Madden. Before we go to break, I want to get into the NCAA championship games. Alabama and Cincinnati, which if you haven't watched the games or you're replaying the games, I'm not going to tell you what happened in the games, but I expect Alabama to dominate against Cincinnati. And even though I think the Michigan game was going to be closer than people think, I do believe it's going to be Georgia and Alabama in the national championships. But when you look at what Alabama is and what Nick Saban is to the NCAA in college football, You can say that about guys like John Madden. You can say that about Bill Belichick. The dominating understanding of what Alabama football has done these last 13, 14 years of football, it's incredible, Speedy. Nick Saban had a lot of obstacles when it comes to the injury end of it to overcome this year, especially with the defense, and has done a very good job with that, too. Now, their defense has been streakier than what it was supposed to be at the beginning of the season. They have a great front seven, but their secondary really hasn't played great. When it comes to Nick Saban's scheme and his coaching job and obviously his talent recruitment, which is obviously going to be off the charts every year, he's still continued to bring that kind of success to Alabama. Offensively, we've seen throughout the year what 
what Bryce Young has done and winning the Heisman and that offensive line being tremendous as well. And even a lot of these newer skill players that have emerged for Alabama, Jamison Williams being one of them and a couple of their slot receivers with Slay Bolton and Billingsley and Brian Johnson as a running back too. They've had a lot of new faces coming come in all at once and they've still been a dominant force and they still clutched up when they needed to coming back the way they did against Auburn in the Iron Bowl and then being Georgia who seemed unbeatable for a while in that SEC championship game. So now they get a test with Cincinnati after that long break and the long break you got to imagine benefit a coach like Nick Saban to be able to game plan for a team like Cincinnati who's trying to prove a point themselves. They're a group of five team that is coming in now. They're going to be in the Big 12 later on when the new conference expansion comes out but right now they're still an AAC team so they have something to prove but they also have a lot of pressure on them too so you would have to think that kind of thing would benefit a coach like Nick Saban in terms of preparing for their best receivers they got a lot of good skill players too so it won't be easy but Nick Saban definitely has the edge here and the only undefeated team out of the four teams going into this Mm -hmm. 14 tournament for the national championship and you have to give a lot of credit to Ritter who's been one of the best quarterbacks in the nation I do believe a first round draft pick especially what he's proven to be as a leader for the Cincinnati team and really what we expect NFL quarterbacks to be mobile quarterbacks that can throw the ball accurately and do the things in the open field. I think he's more accurate than Lamar Jackson. What he is as a championship player, he has proven to be that type of player. So I've been very intrigued on what this kid has turned into as the season progressed. So for a guy that has really led the Cincinnati team and has pushed this team and stride for this Cincinnati team to be an elite team in the NCAA, you have to give a lot of credit to Ritter. Now, when you talk about the Michigan and Georgia game, I think it's going to be a very close game. Georgia did not play well against the Alabama Crimson Tide in the SEC Championship. I want to see Georgia versus Alabama again because I do believe Georgia is the better team. Alabama just got the best of them in that particular day. I think when it comes down to a national championship, it could turn out to be different. Both coaches know each other very, very well. One coach coaching under the great Nick Saban. But I think that the Georgia Bulldogs have a lot to prove in this Michigan game. I love Michigan. I want to see Michigan win. I would love to see a Jim Harbaugh right off to the sunset. Even if he never wins a championship game again, if he can go knock off Georgia and then knock off the great Alabama Crimson Tide, how could you not give Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, who nobody would have thought would be here this year, the opportunity to say that this man has proven to be a good college coach where a lot of people thought he wasn't going to be speedy. Georgia and Michigan are going to prevail on their defenses, especially against the run, because they have some of the best defensive linemen. Michigan with their outside rushers, Georgia with their interior, and the linebackers that they have. They're both on great paces. Georgia's historically good defense, statistically, for college football. Michigan's defense has been the best we've seen it in a very, very long time. Both these teams are also two of the best running tandems in football. James Cook and Zymir White for Georgia have been fantastic, and then Blake Corum, Hassan Haskins for Michigan, both great tandems. So, the winner of this game is going to be defined by their passing games. Now, the dilemma has been, will Georgia actually play JT Daniels, who's a much more skilled quarterback than Stetson Bennett, but... Which we won't give you the information of that, Mm -hmm. because if you didn't watch the game yesterday, or you were celebrating, and this is the first time I've seen the two championship games on New Year's Eve. It's usually on New Year's Day. I understand why the NCAA tried to do this. They're doing it to try to keep people home to watch the games now so they don't go out and party and get COVID-19. Yeah, so the quarterback battles I think are going to be interesting because JT Daniels is somebody that can stretch the field more where Stetson Bennett is kind of your more traditional basic quarterback, kind of like Jake Fromm was on their championship team that lost to Alabama four years ago. And then for Michigan it's that same kind of thing with Kane McNamara. He's not really a special talent type quarterback, but he's been effective 
he's been clutch when they've needed him to be. So the winner of this game is going to be the same one that stretches the field. Because in order to beat a team like Alabama, who they'll probably have to play next, they're going to have to be able to be multidimensional. You can't be a one-dimensional team against a Nick Saban-type team. Both these teams have to really prove themselves as that kind of identity. Because Georgia looked like they had that in the beginning of the season. And then all of a sudden, the last month and a half, it seems like they were just all running in defense. And Michigan, it seems like all their games are won by the same kind of identity, too, especially on the road. So in a neutral site type game with a lot of pressure, it'll be interesting to see if they stick to their strengths and try to play strength on strength and who will be able to expose that passing game to be able to do a little bit more because whoever wins this game is going to have to be the better coached guy. And both these coaches have had their questionable games and big games in the past. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into NFL football, week 16, week 17, and Zach Wilson with all the injuries, COVID-19 catastrophes, Zach Wilson wins his third Rookie of the week. He's the only quarterback out of the tandem of quarterbacks drafted this year that has won three Rookie of the Week awards. When we come back, we'll get into Zach Wilson for all the people that have taken shots at this guy on Twitter and Instagram and all the crap that you see on social media. There's a lot of good things to say about this kid moving forward. When we come back, we'll talk about him, the Giants, and the whole league, and we'll make our three-for-all picks of the week here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy, New Bowl Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or you can go to Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, download the app, our great stories, our great shows throughout the week, Ryan Hickey Show, the Sports Loudmouths, if you like the Jets, check out Weapons Hot, it's a great show as well, CJ Desimone, Kevin Jackson, their tandem of craziness over there. <laughs> it's great what we're doing, it's a new year, and here with the Weekend Crunch on 103.9, we're very happy to be here and be the voices of Long Island Sports, and this coming year, we'll talk more high school sports to bring out the great programs out here from Ward Melville to Sayville and Patchogue Medford and Longwood, all of them. We will get into some high school football, baseball, basketball, and everything this year, so stay tuned for that. We're going to go to some games, we're going to do some interviews, and we'll get some high school coaches to join us, and some of the high school kids, some of the great high school kids that win awards for all the great things that they're doing, not only sports-wise, but academically. You know what's so funny? The last couple of days I've been dealing with an ingrown toenail. Has anybody out there have had an ingrown toenail. To me, it is the worst feeling in the world when you're trying to try on different sneakers. You have all these different sneakers. I'm a sneaker collector. And I can't wear any of my sneakers because I have bad feet. I played a lot of hockey growing up. I have bone spurs all over my feet. It's horrible. But also, an ingrown toenail. And Speedy, what we're going to do is we're going to make a couple of bets, and instead of me clipping them, I will have you bite them. How's that sound? You kissed, right, We're going to bite your you toenail. Kissed, you kissed Brittany's foot when you lost a bet. Oh, Did you yeah, not? Yeah, because somebody, I forget who it was, couldn't make any shots that were supposed to at the end of our NBA uh, There's no excuses now. You I, did, I don't remember even who it was. Did you kiss her foot, yes or no? I know I did. Uh, yes, you did. So maybe we make a bet, and if I win, you could bite my toenails. I don't know disgusting. how you would win in that scenario. You're I still feeling win. paid. I wouldn't win, but it would be 
funny that you're biting my toenails. I it suppose. Really <laughs> anyway, terrible. If anybody out there has ever had an ingrown toenail, definitely go to a foot doctor. I'm in a tremendous amount of pain. But I want to get into the NFL in week 16. And it's so interesting when you watch the Jets. And with all the injuries that they had, I picked them to lose against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I thought the Jacksonville Jaguars, on paper, were the better team with all the injuries that the Jets had. And the guy that really stood out in that game was Zach Wilson. Believe it or not, him versus Trevor Lawrence, did Zach Wilson use his arm a lot in that game? How could he? Who's he throwing to? Barrios? What we saw in that game was Michael Carter coming back, running the ball very, very well in that game, and he's been very, very good this year. Maybe the Jets landed themselves a very good running back moving forward. They need a power back, but Michael Carter, he could do everything. And Zach Wilson had the longest touchdown in Jets history, running 52 yards. Fantastic run by him. Really used his legs, showed you his athletic ability in the game. And when playing against his predecessor, a guy that was drafted in front of him, we're going to be comparing and contrasting these two quarterbacks forever. And a lot of people believe that Trevor Lawrence could go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. A revolutionary type of talent coming out of the NFL draft. A person they compared to Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, and some of the great quarterbacks that we've seen. Guaranteed winner. But... This year, the whole Urban Meyer saga, (laughs) some of the different things with Robertson, the running back, but all the different things, back and forth banter coming out from Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence has had a good year. He's thrown over 3,000 yards. When you look at a rookie quarterback, that's still good, but he's made a lot of mistakes. And being that he had the better team, he had the better wide receivers in the game, I was very surprised that Jacksonville did not really play at the top of their game against a New York Jet team that wasn't where they needed to be with the injuries that they had going into the game. Well, obviously an interim coach is still going to be a lot to have to digest, but the Jets also were with an interim coach too, essentially. They just go to their tight ends coach to coach the game. So mm-hmm. in a way that kind of canceled out in a sense. But again, it was also a lot of big plays too. The Jets have the special teams touchdown to Zach Wilson with a long run. Those are not methodically prepared for things. Jackson you were on the one-yard line at the end of the game. All you needed was a touchdown to win the game, and Trevor Lawrence made a horrible throw. Yeah, not only that, he also spiked the ball on third down too, which isn't ideal for that game situation. No. either, but it definitely was something that you. I was surprised that they could have been a little more prepared. Obviously, losing Robinson hurt in that game because the Jets have been terrible at stopping the run, so you would think that would be the advantage to attack as it was, but still, it's not exactly something that for a team like the Jaguars that still has Chenault and Marvin Jones, solid receivers that you would think be able to make it work, and a offensive line that is not great, but is still decent when it is healthy, too, against a Jets pass rush that has a couple good players, but not much. You would think they would still be able to do a little better at taking advantage of that. Now, their defense has always been suspect, especially their secondary, but against a Jets team that's that shorthanded, I'm surprised they came out as flat as they did. When you look at the Jets and all the injuries they've had this year, Mackay Beckham didn't play all season long, played the first game. I don't think he was healthy going into the preseason either. A lot of people thought he was going to show and return after eight games. He had the surgery. Being that he's a big man, it's taken longer to heal. I think the Jets are going to let him sit out for the rest of the season and come back next year. Hopefully, he'll be a different player than we saw in preseason in this type of offense and with this offensive line that's been horrible this year. McGovern's look good. Elijah Vera Tucker has been sensational for a rookie guy. George Font, who's been really, really good too. Mm-hmm. Amongst the league's best left tackles, which George Font has another year left on that contract. If the Jets were smart, if you draft a young offensive lineman, which they could if they draft Neal, if that happens, trade George Font, you can get a second round draft pick for George Font, move him away to a team that needs an offensive lineman. Look at the numbers that he had this year. He was amongst the league's top seven left tackles, which he's 
produce what he expected to produce when they brought him in as a free agent. So Elijah Moore being out for a significant amount of time, he will play the next two weeks. To me, it's just been lackluster when it comes to the offense. And it has a lot to do with a new offense, a different style of offense. Run first, throw second. And a rookie quarterback that, yeah, hasn't looked great this year. This is the third time he's run rookie of the week, it still says something about his talent and what he could be moving forward as a player this year. Mac Jones never won three rookie of the weeks. Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Mills, none of these guys won three rookies of the week this year. How do you expect this kid to survive and play at the top of his game when he doesn't have a pure number one wide receiver and he doesn't have an offensive line that can actually protect him? He's running all over the place. So that's what I have to say about the Jets. Playing Tampa this week, it looks like it's not going to be an easy game. Tampa needs this game very, very badly because they're competing to try to catch up to Green Bay as the number one seed. And the week after, they have to play Buffalo that's trying to win that division and try to still be in that race to make the playoffs, which the AFC is so close. So these are two games that the Jets are not expected to win. If they win any of them, it could throw them out of position where they could be drafted. The Jaguars now are predominantly the number one pick. They look like they're going to land Hutchinson. And the Jets, if they lost that game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, they would have been the number three pick because the Texans surprised the world and knocking off and completely demolishing the Chargers. Jets fans this week are all Lions fans against Seattle. Not only do the Lions win to maybe have the Jets leapfrog the Lions for draft stock, the Seahawks lose too. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a very important game for the Jets this week. I think the Lions could beat Seattle this they week. Could. As far as the Giants are concerned, this is a waste season. Joe Judge is coming back. Jones is coming back as well as he should. I think Gettleman is going to retire. He's in his 70s right now. They're going to bring in a younger, smarter GM to help out and rebuild this team. They're going to have to bring somebody in that's going to actually accept that Joe Judge is going to be there for another year or two. So that's going to be interesting. Saquon Barkley needs to prove that he can play still. And Saquon Barkley for the next two games has to show the Giants if he's worthy enough to keep or move on and, sh- and shake away. I think the Giants really should look for a trading partner for Saquon Barkley. I still think he has at least two or three good years left, but he's not going to be used in the right offense. He's not going to be used in the right position to win a championship on the Giants because I think the Giants are three, four years away from being a contender. Kenny Galladay is just a horrible signing for Gettleman. Sterling Shepard should be a, a trade target in the offseason. Ingram should be let go. There's a lot of pieces <laughs> that are going to be looked at where they're not going to fit going through the 2022 season. The Giants are going to have two first-round draft picks, two top-ten picks, even though Chicago won last week. Yeah, thanks Seahawks for blowing a 24-10 lead. (laughs) All in all, as a Giant fan, you should be ecstatic where the Giants are in the draft, and this is the first time the Giants are going to get two top-ten picks in a very long... I don't even remember the last time Yeah, because neither Jerry Reese nor Dave Gettleman ever traded up until Dave Gettleman traded back this year. They love sticking to their pick all the time. It was a good move. Best move Gettleman has ever made. (laughs) It seems like they always have, are committed to sticking with their pick no matter what the circumstances are. There were instances in previous drafts where I wanted Jerry Reese to trade back. Even in the 2018 draft when they drafted Saquon Barkley, I was saying, explore trading back. Buffalo had two picks. They needed a quarterback at the time. Obviously, they took Josh Allen later and traded up for him. As far as the rest of the skill players go, yeah, Sterling Shepard, I don't know how many eventually are going to be able to trade him. Now he tore his Achilles, too. And there's a lot of slot receivers in the league now, so it's going to be mm-hmm. hard to move him. So we'll you're see You're not going to get that. much for him. No, you're not. But you, get a fourth. I, you might be just better off holding on to him and just be a, he he was having a good season receiver. before. He was. That's why I say, all right, hold on to him, and maybe they can bolster it that way. Saquon Barkley is very interesting because, one, running backs aren't being traded for very often. There's not a lot of teams that need them. You could them. get a second-round draft pick. For maybe, but the team would have to really be their main Buffalo for that kind Buffalo of thing. is the team, man. He could stay in New York. He wants to stay in New York. He grew up a Jet fan. 
Buffalo's looking for that star running back. They don't have a running back that can really dominate a game. Saquon Barkley would be a perfect fit over there. Trade a second or a third round draft pick for Saquon. Then you don't have to go look for a running back in the draft. And you solidify that position that they haven't had. Or maybe in the even take one of theirs back. Maybe take Singletary back in a fourth. Because they've had their flashes, their backs. They just, again, haven't been healthy enough to be able to do so. I always thought that Saquon Barkley was kind of like the situation with the Yankees and Gary Sanchez. Good in some areas, certain seasons. But what will be the value? It's very unknown because the running back position is being devalued when it comes to top teams because they have these great coaches that can make other running back platoons work. But yeah, you're right. Buffalo might be the exception of that right now because they really just haven't found anything consistent right now. And they're making Zach Moss healthy scratches all the time. It proves that he hasn't been developing either or he's hiding an injury or something like that. Now they're trying to throw in Matt Breida. So that's the one thing they clearly haven't gotten for a team that's very talented. And also, I heard this, I think it was Ryan's show. He was saying how Buffalo in the cold, in the snow, needs some kind of running game and they don't have it right now to be able to do well down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And that's why week 17 is going to be a big week for a lot of teams, especially in the NFC and the AFC, because so many teams are so close together. It's going to take really the last week where we're going to really find out who the top seven teams in the AFC and NFC is. It's either Tampa or Green Bay that's going to win the NFC. If Green Bay wins this week, they secure the number one spot in the NFC. And and this is a big game with Minnesota, but guess what? Minnesota loses Kirk Cousins for this week. So this is a very easy game, a bona fide position setter for the Green Bay Packers to get that number one spot where they get the bye week and really solidify themselves moving forward as the home team in the playoffs. So this is a big loss for Minnesota. And Minnesota, who's fighting for a playoff spot, if they don't win this game, they're as good as gone. Losing Kirk Cousins this week is horrible. Good for the Green Bay Packers. The Ravens, it's a big game for the Ravens. They don't win this week, they're done too. The Bengals, if they win against Kansas City, they're 10-6. and six. They would have to win because the Bengals have had to have tiebreaker. I'm not talking about the division, but I'm talking about the wild card positions yeah. for 7-6. and six. I think if Baltimore loses, I think they're done. The Chargers need to win this game too against the Broncos. Not to mention one of the Raiders or the Colts will win. So, Absolutely. And, and if the Bills win, they secure a position as a wild card team, even if they don't win the division. And same thing with the Patriots. The Patriots need to win their game as well because they need to secure themselves as a playoff team as well. Both teams 9-6. and six. The Patriots have the easiest game out of the both. The Falcons still could surprise a lot of people going into Buffalo. And the Falcons are still up for a playoff spot as well. They could squeak into the playoffs if they win their next two games. It's so close, but Speedy, are you ready for the free-for-all picks of the week? Yep. We'll start this week with the Miami Dolphins at the Tennessee Titans. The over-under is 41. I'm going to take the Titans in this one. I know Miami is on a massive winning streak. The first team in NFL history to lose seven in a row then win seven in a row. But Tennessee's continuing to do well at overcoming injuries all year long. They've beaten a lot of good teams this year. I know they had their fluky losses. They lost to the Jets. They lost to the Texans. Okay. Derrick Henry's definitely coming back for the playoffs, too. Uh-huh. A.J. Brown coming back last week is a, is a big deal at 140-something yards against the 49ers. And you know Ryan Tedhill's going to want to get revenge on his former team. And that defense for Tennessee's looked very good, too. And Miami's offensive line's still not great. So I think the Titans will win on the strength of their defense. I'll take them on the under. Give me the Tennessee Titans as well. This is going to be a very, very close game. The Dolphins have played great football for the last seven weeks. Waddle is a Rookie of the Year candidate. I think him and Jamar Chase are the two guys that I think really have stuck out. Mac Jones, too, but I think it's one or the other as far as the wide receivers are concerned. But give me the Titans. 
on the under. Speaking of Jamar Chase, his Cincinnati Bengals hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. The over-under is 49.5. I'll go with the Bengals here. I think the Chiefs, they're on a nice tear as well, but I think these streaks are meant to end at some point. And Cincinnati's defense is starting to pick it up in recent weeks against contending teams as well, against the Raiders, the Broncos, and last week against the Ravens. Now, are they world-class offenses? No, but they're contending teams that they needed to make a statement on, and I think they did that. They could stop the run. They're good over the middle of the field. They get Logan Wilson back. I think that'll help them contain Kelsey as well. And the Bengals offense, they can win shootouts. Definitely the over in this game. I'll take the Bengals at home. I think it's going to be a Bengals game as well. I I think Kansas City's played as good as any team right now in football for the last eight weeks. They've been sensational. The quarterback play has been better. And the defense has really shown up the last seven weeks. So I really like what Kansas City has shown me. They're definitely going to be one of the favorites to come out of the AFC. But I like the Bengals. I think they looked good last week offensively. They didn't look as well defensively last week with the touchdowns in the yards thrown by Joe Burrows. Joe Burrows showed you why he's one of the elite young quarterbacks in the league. I really, really like the Bengals in this game. They have the home game. It's going to be cold. Could be snowy. Give me the Bengals on the over. Arizona Cardinals at the Dallas Cowboys. The over-under is 51.5. This one is right on the borderline for me. I'm taking the Cardinals in this one. I know they've struggled recently, but I don't think they're this bad of a team. I think they've just had a lot of adjustment processes. James Conner was a surprise out last week, which hurt them against the Colts. And even Kyler Murray still been kind of limited lately. Their defense, I think, is still talented. The Cowboys can run the ball a little bit, but even they've been streaky in that area. And Dan Quinn's defense is more of a base defense, so I think Kyler Murray running the ball and rolling out will be a good matchup for that. And the receivers, they have to spread it around. So Dallas has a little bit of a letdown after their 56-point drubbing of the Washington football team last week. I'll take Arizona. I'll take them under. I like the Cowboys in this game. Arizona has not looked good. James Conner will not be playing in this game. He hasn't been healthy all season long. And Kingsbury is right now fighting for his life. He might lose his job because right now the Cardinals have been positioned all year to be the number one, number two seed. They've fallen out of the number one, two spot. They do not want to go into the playoffs playing one of these top teams like the Rams going into game number one. Give me the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are the better team. I think the Cowboys defensively have been sensational. Michael Parsons, who I think is the predominant rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year, one of the best pass rushers in the league. Give me the Cowboys on the under. So those are our free-for-all picks of the week. The only difference we had were the Cardinals and the Cowboys. What does it lead to right now? Because we agreed on all of them last week, so you're still up by two. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a special guest. We will be talking to ESPN Cleveland radio show host Matt Fontana here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We are the Weekend Crunch. Happy New Year to all the fans out there. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 with the cold and snowy weather to the warm and beautiful spring weather. But over there in Cleveland, it's back and forth disgusting weather. We'll be talking to this very well-known broadcaster over there. As now, we are talking to ESPN Cleveland radio show host, Matt Fontana. What's going on, Matt? What's up, guys? How are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing right now with your show over there at ESPN Cleveland? And how do you feel moving on to a New York sports conversation show? 
All good, guys. I'm excited for it. And yeah, things are good. We're kind of in a weird spot right now with where the Browns are at, the Indians, Block C. The Cavs are like the best team in town right now. Nobody really saw that coming anywhere. If you would have told me at the beginning of this year that the Browns would be pretty much out of the playoff hunt and the Cavs would be the one hope that we would have to make the playoffs, I wouldn't have believed you. Matt, why don't we get into some Cleveland sports? And you were talking about the Cleveland Browns and football is a very popular thing here in New York, even though our team stink. We've been there. We've yeah, been there. That's right. We might be going back there. I don't know. Right? We might <laughs> <laughs> have been just the one year to make the playoffs and we'll be right back. I'm not really sure yet. We'll see. Cleveland right now, going into the season, a lot of people were very excited about this team, how talented they were with the running back core that they have with Hunt and Chubb and the wide receivers with Odell Beckham, who's now playing for the Rams and Landry can't stay healthy. Even the tight ends that they have, the weapons that they had and even the acquisition from the offensive linemen that they've brought in over the last two years, you would think that they were going to be a top team with Miles Garrett running their defense. But it's, it's completely fallen apart this year. And one of the big names that a lot of people are blaming over there in Cleveland is Baker Mayfield. Now, Baker has been playing with a hurt shoulder. I don't blame Baker for everything, especially being at the pressure. And it's been really sinking on his mind that the team doesn't want him there anymore. The fans don't want him there. I don't believe that. So what are your thoughts with Baker Mayfield not having the year that everybody thought he was going to have? And I think he's been very, very tough playing it out with his shoulder problem. Yeah, and even beyond the shoulder. So obviously he was injured week two, and then it got hurt again when J.J. Watt sandwiched him. But then he's had knee injury. He has a heel injury. It just seems to be mounting up. Missed last week. Being on the COVID list, he missed the Denver game on the short week after that Cardinals game when he got injured again. I think the biggest thing is, guys, is I I tell people the issue is it's still a question like the question of do the Browns have a franchise quarterback the fact that we can unequivocally say we can't say yes for sure in Buffalo you say that with Josh Allen Lamar Jackson for sure in in Baltimore you know it's Justin Herbert with the Chargers even Lamar right he's not had a year up to his pace he's had injuries but there is no question. I think that's the frustrating part is it's still a question that you can't answer either side. And the Cleveland fan base, it's people are pretty polarized on it. A lot of people think he is the guy. Other people think he's not the guy for one reason or another. So it's so tough when you look at it because you want to say, oh, the numbers aren't there. The production's not there. He needs so many things to go right for him to be successful. But it is the injury factor. You're not really sure what it is. And this is kind of his career, right? Rookie year lit things up. Year two with Freddie Kitchens was not good. Last year with Kevin Stefanski was very good. And this year it's trending towards a subpar year. So you can't even get the gauge on his career. And and you don't have a quarterback, you're not going anywhere. You're just talking about the New York teams, you pretty much know. You don't have a quarterback, you're not going anywhere. And the Browns, even the fan base, really thought we found the guy. I still have faith. I still have belief. Do I need him to be a top five quarterback? No. I need him to be a top 10 quarterback, though. I can't have him middle to second half of the pack there, which is kind of where he's at right now, just when you look at the stats, you talked about all the players they brought in, the, the offense that's built. If it needs to be like this perfect offense, this would be it. Talked about a great offensive line and a good run game. I don't need Patrick Mahomes in this offense. Mm. I need a guy like Baker Mayfield, win healthy. But again, we haven't really seen that. And that's where this stretched here. He said to us the week prior that when he played, he said that that's the healthiest he's been since week two so there's a chance coming off the COVID list here that we can see some good play down the stretch it's amazing with how many bad quarterbacks you guys have had all the Browns fans are turning on Baker this quickly so my question is with him having the contract year now coming up between the injury that he had and delaying the surgery until in the offseason and then playing through it for a while what would you do if you were in the Browns front office if you were Andrew Barry would you pay him the money that he wants what you think is reasonable for that kind of quarterback contracts because quarterback contracts are rising and are you surprised that Baker Mayfield played through the pain as much as he has 
fast. I'm not. That's one thing that he likes. He doesn't like to be hurt, but he fights through it. He's a grinder. He's a chip on the shoulder kind of guy. And he knows he's got a lot of money to be made out there. Going out there, I don't think it's hurt or helped the situation. If I'm Andrew Barry, the Browns GM, and probably Baker probably want this too. This year's a wash. There's really nothing we could tell for it. Let's get to the off season. We don't want to insult you by giving you a low ball offer. Let's play it out on the fifth year option. You start playing extremely well. Well, maybe we'll have contract discussions midway through the year. If you don't, not a problem. We'll franchise tag you if we can't figure something out. But I truly, really do believe that once the conversation starts, that I think Baker wants to be here and the Browns just want him to prove to them that he's going to be worth that 40. I know 40 is like a lofty number right now, but when that salary cap jumps the next couple of years, it's going to keep resetting that market. Even if I'm Baker, your value is not very good right now. So let's just get this year out of the way. Let's get to the offseason. Let's get fully healthy. Let's get into next year and we'll see where it takes us from there knowing that you have franchise tag options. And again, I really do think you have a quarterback that would listen to it. There are some reports that they maybe had discussions about things this offseason. It didn't really formulate with anything. But if I'm them, I say let's just watch this season and talk about it after next year. Right now, Cleveland is fighting for a playoff spot. When you look at the AFC, it could go either way. Just like the NFC, it's very top-heavy. With the AFC, we don't know who the top four teams in the AFC. A lot of people are saying Kansas City because they're playing great football and now went from dead in the water in the middle of a season where they were last at one point in their division. Now all of a sudden they're in first place. And it's not because of the quarterback. It's really other things that's been very impressive with Kansas City. So you look at Cleveland right now, and we were just talking about Baker Mayfield. The one thing that's really stood out to me about this Cleveland Browns team is their defense. And Miles Garrett, to me, you can argue every single year he's Defensive Player of the Year. I know a lot of people put Parsons. T.J. Watt's a beast right now. I think he's better than his brother, J.J. But what are your thoughts with Miles Garrett? I know a lot of people in the league didn't like the situation a couple of years ago with Pittsburgh when he took off his helmet and tried to beat the quarterback up with it. Definitely really put a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth. But then he got this big contract. Ever since then, he's done. Dominated the league. He's been a beast of a man. What do you think of, of his growth as a leader on this defense and really who he is as a person on and off the field? I could have told you guys even before that happened that Miles Garrett is genuinely like one of the nicest people I've ever met. He's a very interesting person, like in a good way. He loves dinosaurs. As soon as he's done playing, he's going to become a doctor of paleontology and he's going to be out there discovering dinosaur bones. Like it's what he likes. He writes poetry. He likes cartoons. He likes comics. Like he's my kind of guy. When that situation happened, it was really interesting. It seemed so out of character. They've obviously moved past it. Like he's spoken to Mason Rudolph. They actually met before a game to just kind of bury the hatchet. I've always given Mike Tomlin a lot of credit for how he handled that situation too, to kind of move past. I think it was a out of the character moment. You go back to it. It was pretty clear to me that Mason was trying to rip Miles' helmet off and he was up in his face. It just happened to be that Miles actually got the helmet off. I hope it's not something people really remember because this guy's going to be good enough. He should be down in Canton one day, getting a Hall of Fame and getting that gold jacket. And the sad thing is I think there will still be people while he's up there that think of that it happened you can't take it back that's how good of a player he is and a lot of people went into this year saying with the extra game he had a real chance to go after Michael Strahan's single season sack record that's pretty much out the window he was on pace for a little while had the four and a half sack game against the Chicago Bears but now he's battling a groin injury he can wreck a game he's almost getting to the quarterback every single play I do think there's an element of we talk about teams and figuring things out the Patriots couple weeks back and they just demolished the Browns. Part of the reason was Bill Belichick 
started chipping Miles Garrett all day with a running back and just hitting him. And pretty much every week since, I think people really found the book. They go, that's what you got to do. I mean, it's easy to say. Usually you can't block him one-on-one. There's a lot of usually double running backs over there, the tight end to double team Miles. And that was supposed to be the addition to Jadavian Clowney to kind of loosen that up. Well, Clowney missed the last game with COVID. He's had a real nice resurgence for the Browns this season, certainly. But I think there might be a little bit of a book out there on Miles, but I still would never count him out. I think every single year, while he's in his prime, which he is in his prime right now, he should be the favorite, one of the favorites to win the Defensive Player of the Year, because that's just how good he is. He's got everything so tough. People talk about his bend, how fast he is. If you're talking about like a factory to like build a pass rusher and defensive end, I'm pretty sure Miles Garrett would be what comes out the other side. The Cavs, obviously, they're number four in the East right now. One of the biggest surprises of the year and a great young progressing team. If you're the Cavs, do you go heavy at the trade deadline? Do you maybe go for one player? And also, what do you think their ceiling is for this year? Now losing Colin Sexton for the season as well. Also, future outlook. Are they going to be consistently this good? Do you think they this is a one-year type thing and then they'll fall off a little next year? What do you think is the status quo for the Cavs? I see the nucleus, right? It's Darius Garland, it's Jared Allen, and it's Evan Mobley. Darius Garland's in his third year. Evan Mobley's still a rookie and they just signed Jared Allen to a nice extension. Colin Sexton's kind of like Baker Mayfield, but for the Cavs. There's some people that say, oh, he's not the guy and he's not a part of this future. Other people say you're insane. There's no way. And it's really unfortunate that he got hurt because I wanted to answer that question this year. I wanted to see what he would look like with this mesh of this team. And it sucks that he's out. As far as the trade deadline, I think it's really just one player because they have a nice rotation right now. They still have another young guy that's only going into his second year in Isaac Okoro. He was really starting to come along. So really, they're starting five right now, I think is really solid. They traded Larry Nance for Lowry Markinen. He's turned out to be an upgrade there. And I love Junior. He's a Cleveland guy. We love him. But Markinen's played really, really well. So as far as getting too many pieces to kind of disrupt what J.B. Bickerstaff is doing, I don't think this is like a Cavs team of the past, mostly with LeBron, where you saw a three or four player type swing. I don't think that's where they're at. I think they can target one, maybe two players because this team's pretty much, you have your starting five, you have Kevin Love on that second team, you've got some players that can fit in. So I would say probably one player would be it. And I do think they have a bright future. Evan Mobley seems to be the superstar that we had all hoped in Cleveland. Rookie you know, of the year. ESPN did a poll before the season of NBA executives. Mobley was not the pick to win rookie of the year, but he was voted as the player in five years that will be the best. And that's almost like even better. Those guys you know, on ESPN don't know nothing. Evan Mobley is by far the best player in that draft so far and yes well, to be fair this was before the season but I'm with you in Cleveland we were really hyped up for Cade Cunningham Suggs but guys 10 games in I was like you know what Evan Mobley is the best player in this draft mm-hmm. and it worked out really well it's mm-hmm. not a shot at any of the other guys or the no. Rockets or the Pistons for the moves that they made those were the right picks I get it but that's where a lot of people with the Cavs we actually even had this going up to draft night when we got three everyone was like oh should we trade back or this and I was like no I was like no 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 no, no. I go just stay there you take Evan Mobley even if he turns out to be a bust this is the right move. At this point, it is extremely far from that. And I expect him to only get better when he adds a little bit of good weight and when he continues to develop that post game. People are making the Kevin Durant comparisons because he's got that length. He does have an outside game to him. I'm really excited to see his development. Reminds me of Brandon Ingram. And Brandon Ingram's turning into a good player. Yeah, and that's what you need in today's NBA. Andre Drummond was here with the Cavs, and they tried that true center, and that's really not it. What the Cavs have established with Jared Allen, who's a seven-footer in the middle, Mobley 6'11", Lowry Markin 6'11", and all three of those guys are starting. But the biggest thing with Allen and Mobley, they're athletic, they move, and they can 
still defend the paint and they can still block shots and make things so tough. Jared Allen doesn't have the outside game that Evan Mobley does, and that's fine because the Cavs, they lead the league in dunks. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of those are alley-oops from Garland to Jared Allen in the low post. They're almost unstoppable from that point. So the fact of that they have found what I think is the key, people want to make the case about wing play. Who wouldn't want a Giannis on their team? Or Kevin Durant with the height, with the athletic ability, with the outside game. That's where the NBA is going, and I think they have that certainly with the lineup they have. We are talking to ESPN Cleveland radio show host Matt Fontana. Odell Beckham, I think everywhere he's gone, he's been a cancer. I like him. I think he's very talented. One of the most talented players we've ever seen come out of the draft, and a lot of Giant fans didn't like him when he was drafted. The first four games, he was hurt. He was injured. He couldn't stay healthy, and when you don't have a healthy player, he doesn't play enough to get the money that he wanted. And by the way, they redid his contract when he came to Cleveland, gave him a lot more. He was a bust for Cleveland. You expect a guy to win, and and he didn't win. Yeah, and I also think there's an element of when he was in New York, it was his offense. It was Eli Manning, and he could find a way to get him the football. And you come here where it's it's a run-first offense. When you have Nick Chubb and Kareem on the offensive line, you do, you're going to run the ball first. There were people that were questioning if Baker was the right quarterback to fit Odell's needs and then his fit. You know, Odell had a tumultuous time here. He was with Freddie Kitchens in his first year, and I don't really think anybody on the offense had a good year in that year. And then they come back with Kevin Stefanski, and I do think they were starting to get some things figured out. And then, unfortunately, it gets hurt. And then there was a lot of hype around his return this year. And again, maybe he just wasn't a fit in this offense. And with LA, it was kind of funny because when he left, John Johnson, who was a safety that came over from the Rams, we asked him, you're from LA, what do you think about Odell going there? And he kind of questioned, he goes, that offense runs through Cooper Cup. Like that entire offense is all about Cooper Cup. I'm kind of wondering why he would go there again to not be the guy. But again, if he's happier being in LA and he's more accepting of that role there, it just wasn't meant to be here in Cleveland. Yeah, he wants to be a superstar. He likes to be the center of attention. I get that, but I also wonder like how much he's got left in the tank. He's been injured pretty much every season, I think the last six years, actually until this year. He's actually been healthy this year coming off the ACL, but he's not in his mid-20s anymore. So I I wonder how much maybe he has left in the tank. So why don't we get into some baseball? Because Cleveland, the Guardians now, it's no longer the Indians. For some reason, everybody was so hurt with the name. The Cleveland Guardians, Francisco Lindor is not there anymore. This team is completely transitioned to a World Series type of team, a championship type of team. They have some pitching. Obviously, we know about Mr. Bieber over there. Justin Bieber's long lost brother. The better of the two Biebers. Yes. Yeah, but, I would uh, agree with that. Francisco Lindor is now in New York. It worked out for them because they didn't have to pay him and he doesn't look like he's the same player with Cleveland. What are your thoughts to this team moving forward going into the new season with this whole lockout situation? Supposedly their farm system is pretty good. Where is this team at now? They're still going to be what they've been, pitching dominant. And last year, we talked about Shane Bieber who got hurt. Then Aaron Savali got hurt. Zach Plesak missed time. So your top three starters. There was a point in the year where of their five starters, four of them didn't make the club coming out of spring training. That's how beat up that they got. And then they had to turn to some younger guys and Tristan McKenzie. Cal Quantrill had a really nice year as a starter, actually, and has kind of penciled himself in as a guy that started in the bullpen. Then they stretched him out to start. And he actually finished the year pretty solid. So back into the bullpen, Emmanuel Classe, the, you know, the flamethrower is still going to be one of the better closers in the league. So they're going to go with their pitching as always. The lineup is the biggest question. You still have Jose Ramirez, who's a perennial MVP candidate every single year, but you have giant questions around the outfield as you have. There's names, there's bodies, there's people that you think, okay, they're there, but you just don't really know what you have. And the biggest thing is a lot of the trades that they have made. You talked about Lindor, going back to the Mike Clevenger deal. They have people that they brought in in those trades, and they should be. The whole point of them being here was to 
be starters back on this team. They have a level of talented guys in the farm system that some feel like might be ready this year. Others might think that they're about a year away from coming up and getting going. But there is a little bit of a renewed sense of optimism. There's a report out that the Dolans, who own the Guardians, that they're going to sell a minority stake to David Blitzer. And that's been the biggest thing. People, they don't spend. Guardians fans, they're just at the Dolans' throats about how much money they don't spend or they do spend. They have perennially one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, at least the last couple of years they have been. And people are sick of that. So they're hoping that with an influx of money, with this minority owner taking over whenever that happens, that they might be able to invest a little bit in a corner outfielder. On the infield, you're pretty set there with your names, at least who they're going to start with and go. But it seems like the Guardians, they've always needed an out. I don't know why. Something about corner outfield, we've needed one of those for like the last six years, really since Michael Brantley left. And it's the left field. With Jose Ramirez and also Shane Bieber, both of them have been floated in a lot of trade rumors. Ramirez, especially with the year he had this year, wasn't going to win MVP, obviously, but was, I think, one of the top five in the MVP votes. And then Shane Bieber won the Cy Young in 2020. Ramirez was the finalist then in 2020. So do you think the Guardians will end up making those kinds of trades? Do you think they're going to maybe sell high on that kind of thing? And also, if you were to do that, would you make that kind of move? Because we've seen the sell short a lot of the times in trades with their front office. You were mentioning a lot of the fans being frustrated with their ownership and their front office, too. So they're not the only fan base frustrated with a Dolan. Oh, sure. Yeah, they're right. The cousins are, can get after it there a little bit. But, but uh... I always thought of the Indians front office kind of like uh, the the kind of like the Wilpon Mets where they're cheap, they make bad trades a lot of the time. So what do you think they should get back for them? Or do you think they'll end up trading? I think the biggest question is going to be this new CBA. Whenever this gets done with baseball, people are screaming for a salary floor. As a Guardians fan, I want nothing more. All it has to be is $100 million. Like that's not anything crazy when teams are spending $300 million. Spend a third of that, get to it. And if that happens, I would have optimism that they would be able to sign Shane Bieber or Jose Ramirez to another extent. So that they did sign Jose to an extension a couple years back, and he has like astronomically outplayed that. I mean, he's on like one of the most insane deals that you could ever see, but that's got a couple, I think two more years left on that. So that's coming towards the end of that. Obviously, Shane Bieber's still in arbitration, which is one of the stupidest things in baseball, in my opinion, too, <laughs> to talk about things we don't like. But I think if the CBA comes out, do I expect a salary cap or floor? No, that's too big of a mountain to move. Really, my hope is going to be in this minority owner that's going to buy in. There's reports that there is a plan for David Blitzer reportedly going to take over minority share, that there's a path for him to eventually take over the entire team. And maybe he could bring a little bit more cash in to get it done. It's kind of like Lindor. I sit here today, probably knowing the inevitable that those guys will be traded. I want to sit here and tell myself that there's still a chance that they could get something. But again, it might take that salary floor in baseball. It's going to take maybe a new owner to get it done. Yeah, never say never. But I think especially with this team, they've been right on with all the trades that they have made. I mean, say what you want, maybe about them being cheap. Chris Antonetti might off the president and the GM, they've pulled off some pretty impressive trades the last couple of years. And I've always said this, I go, if baseball had a salary cap, the Indians would have won two World Series in the last decade because that's how good they've been with talent acquisition and making trades. The problem is they just can't hold on to everybody. Mike's a nice guy. Chernoff. Great guy. Very, yeah. very nice guy. I know his father, now retired from WFAN. Mark, very, yeah. very nice guy. Grew up here on the island. Grew up a Met fan. A lot of people thought he was going to leave the Cleveland Indians and go to the Mets and take over the Mets. That wasn't going to happen because there was no way in hell that Cleveland was just going to say, hey, by the way, you can have Mike Chernoff. He's there for the taking. That wasn't going to happen. But I think what they have done has been absolutely sensational. It's hard when you trade corner pieces of your franchise. And it's tough because the fans, all they see is a superstar 
like Francisco Lindor, like Mike Clevenger, like Trevor Bauer. You see them leave and you see a list of names that come back and you get so angry. You're like, well, what's this guy? Who the hell is this? Why do we trade this guy for this? Prime example, when they traded Corey Kluber, two-time Cy Young winner, going to go down as one of the best pitchers in franchise history. They traded him away for some guy named Emmanuel Classe. Since then, Kluber's pretty much been hurt and not been the same. I know he obviously threw a no-hitter last year, but still not quite the same guy. Classe is arguably one of the best young closers in the game. They're on that wave of, you're going to be mad at us now, but in a couple of years, these are going to be names of players that are actually impacting our team and getting it done. They got to play the long game, unfortunately. One of the biggest buzzwords when we talk to Chris Antonetti is controllable. They have to have young, controllable players, and you do that for trading guys that are arbitration or pre-arbitration for star players. Matt, we really appreciate you joining us. You're awesome. Everything that we got into when it came to football, basketball, and baseball with the Guardians. Worst name in baseball, by the way. It's you- not worse than the Spiders, though. I didn't want the uh, Spiders or the sure. Blues. The Guardians, I'm going to give it time to grow on me because Remember I the said owl? it was the best option. Remember I'm the sorry? Owl movie, The Guardians? Owl I movie? can't see I've seen that. Oh, no, you got to check that, that out. Because uh, yeah. that's what pops into my head when it comes to the Guardians. They're like Fair enough. owls that protect the world or protect the humankind. It's pretty funny, actually. But I still would have rather the genius marketing idea of having Groot <laughs> as your mascot. <laughs> as long as the Guardians change their logo. I've grown on the name. The name was actually my pick, like the lesser of all the other evils so the name's all right they change the logo i'm all in i'm, I'm fine with that as long as they change the logo. i yes. like the c yeah okay. block c don't wrong with that. that's fine i would have voted for with the rock and roll hall of fame and also they could have gotten the marketing with the energy drink the amps <laughs> see i am so over the rock hall stuff because oh, okay. like when the all-star game was here they used the guitar like the nba all-star games come in here and it's tough because cleveland's not really known for much other than the river catching on fire and the rock and roll hall of fame so they don't have much to really go off of but i'm happy they didn't go anything with the rock hall that in a way i'm happy that they stayed away from that i've been there it's pretty cool actually the rock hall. oh the rock hall is fantastic and then i went yeah, to actually awesome. went to progressive field and actually get to bet the guy that does the drum in left field john they, adams yeah, yeah no he's, we, he's had, we, we were in the left field bleachers very very good yep. affordable seats so that's bleachers. the name of the game and with then, the guardians they, I think they were losing pretty seats, big they were playing yeah. against the red sox they were losing pretty big so a lot of people were leaving so we, we just kept walking around at that point and i got to beat him he was actually a pretty cool he's guy. good guy yeah no he's fantastic we really appreciate you joining us we'd love to get you on again you're awesome good luck with what you're doing over there in cleveland with espn i think you're fabulous i actually checked out your show it's funny because uh, a couple of months ago i popped on some cleveland sports on espn and there you were i was listening to your show and i was like wow this is a pretty good show and funny too and you guys get good guests so um it's definitely a great show if the fans haven't checked it out uh matt fontana thank you matt for joining us anytime guys i really appreciate it Tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Follow me at Matt Fontana 83 and then ECT, the show that I do, is 5 to 7 Eastern. You can get on the ESPN app and all over the place. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. We'll definitely get Matt on again. We have had so many great, privileged guests on our show, and he's our first of the year. Very happy to have Matt on, and we'll get him on again for all the fans that loved him and enjoyed his interview. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some basketball. We'll get into the Knicks and the trade rumors coming out from Knicks camp, and Paris Levert has been a sneak voice of reason. Could be another player heading back to New York, but not with the Brooklyn Nets, but with the New York Knicks. When we come back, we'll get into the Knicks And Kevin Durant speaks out. He believes, and I believe, he is the MVP of the league. But a lot of Net fans don't believe so. When we come back, Kevin Durant has something to say to the Net fans. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, 
We are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Need a Comb His Hair, Speedy. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the world's wide, beautiful sports radio network. Remember, you can download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The world has been crazy this year. It really has. And with all the craziness that has happened and and all the woes and the bad things that have happened, the Kardashians seem to be the voices of reason all over New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Not only are they making the money that they absolutely adore, they're dating some new broad-span people. And what I mean by broad-span, no more basketball players. It seems like they've fallen (laughs) in love with these tattoo maniacs. And maybe they're following Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, the Barkers of the world, or even the Davidsons of the world. I want to give a shout out to Davidson because no matter what, it's great where you have a New York guy, the center of attention, and he's dating Kim Kardashian, and he's the face of all the reason on why these skinny, tattooed maniacs can still land the beautiful, hot girl. In this country. So there you go. I give Davidson a lot of credit, even if it doesn't last that long. I want to get into some basketball, and the New York Knicks seem to be the center of attention when it comes to trade rumors. And we don't know what this team is this year. They're right now, if the season were to end, they're a ninth seed. They're in the round robin of craziness, but does that say enough? It doesn't tell you much about what this team is. They're ranked, I think, 19th or 20th defensively in the league when they were ranked in the top five last year. So they've taken a step back defensively. Offensively, they thought Kemba Walker was going to change his team. The last four games, he's played better. I love what Julius Randle says, that the face and, and really the voice of reason as a leader in the locker room is Kemba Walker. I think he is. But is he the answer to this team? Is he going to help this team moving forward become a championship competitive team? I, I don't know. I don't think that he is. I think to me he's trade bait. But what this team is is something that I can't explain anymore. Julius Randle's been a complete bust. $116 million. He's had more air balls in certain games than he has with swishes. Okay, Overpaying a third option player, maybe a second option player. It doesn't really bode well for the New York Knicks because we've seen this before. I love Amar Stoudemire. He was great his first year, had bad knee problems, and to me he fell all the way to a third option for the Knicks. And he got a lot of money from the New York Knicks because nobody wanted to play here. So to me, Julius Randle, yes, it's it's great that he took less money to play here in New York. Yes, it's great that he wants to be here and he wants to be the voice of reason for the New York Knicks and the fans. But this guy is a low-grade Carmelo Anthony. He is not Carmelo Anthony. I don't know what you want to compare him to. You want to compare him to an older Amari Stoudemire because he's still young? I mean, Amari Stoudemire, I think, was still a better player than Julius Randle was in his first year. Now, obviously, after that, Amari Stoudemire really fell off. His knees didn't hold up. A lot of people thought that was going to happen. And that's what drove Carmelo Anthony to want to come over here and play with him. But Julius Randle has been horrible this year in his third full year with the Knicks. But second supposedly big year for the Knicks. He has not been an all-star this year, Speedy. He has not. Well, I think we were expecting him to regress from last year. I don't think we were expecting all the offensive juggernaut numbers he put up last year where he was probably a top 20 overall player in the NBA. But still, he fell to a point where he's become really inefficient, shooting 42% overall, shooting way worse from the free throw line, holding the ball or forcing the ball in certain moments where he shouldn't be. And that's been a big problem for the Knicks' efficiency on offense. The Knicks 
statistically last year weren't a great overall offense, but they still were shooting efficiently where they were wasting possessions. And in the beginning of the season, it seemed like he wasn't doing that either. He was getting a lot of assists. He was getting a lot of offensive rebounds. He was extending plays, extending possessions. And now it doesn't seem like he's doing that anymore. And maybe that's because of other offensive woes too. RJ Barrett had a great start to the season. Now he looks horrible too. Yeah, yeah. Oh. He has, now he hasn't been the same offensively. He's been horrible. Obviously, we mentioned Kemba Walker hasn't been the same offensively as what he was in the past. And even a lot of their inside game as well hasn't really been there. Outside of Emmanuel Quigley and Alec Burks, and Derek Rose, those are really the only three guys that have looked good for the majority of the season, I would say, on offense. And that's a big problem for the Knicks in terms of progressing. And again, it's affected their defense, too, because their defense is now getting tired, not possessing the ball. They're shooting too early in the shot clock, so it's tiring out their defense. And when you lose those kinds of possessions, when you turn the ball over a lot, your defensive statistics are going to look worse, even if the scheme still looks good. Absolutely. And you were just talking about R.J. Barrett. I thought R.J. Barrett has really taken to that next level as a defensive player. He's fallen off offensively. Right. Career 36% field goal percentage at the three-point line. This year, he's 33. He's taking a step back. His field goal percentage, career 42. He's fallen to 39 this year. He has not been where we thought he was going to be. Usually, third year as an NBA player, we see the development. We see how good this kid could be. I expected him to average 21 points a game this year. I know it's only 28 games in a season. He will have to actually average in the next six games 30 to 40 points a game to even get it up to 20 points. So he has not been good. He hasn't been as good as we thought he was going to be. So that is scary to me as an R.J. Bear fan if he really is the answer and maybe he is trade bait for the Knicks at the trade deadline. As far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned, Kyrie Irving coming back, that's great news for the Nets. I think they're the favorites now to win the championship. If he gets his COVID vaccine, his vaccination, and he can play home games, and he can play every single game, I think he's going to be very, very scary with a Kevin Durant that's on a whole nother level this year. Do you know that he averages just as many assists than now Steph Curry? So he is averaging 5.9 assists a game, and so is Steph Curry. He's averaging two more points than Steph Curry is, and he's averaging four or five more rebounds than Steph Curry is. And Steph Curry right now is everybody's predominant MVP candidate, which I think is ridiculous. Right now, the MVP is Kevin Durant. It's not even an argument. And for people to think that he isn't, it's a catastrophe. It's crazy. But it's so interesting when we talk about who it is and who do we compare and contrast to be the best player in the NBA this year. And it's not about points. It's not about points. It's about all-around games. What's so interesting about this is what Kevin Durant said. He says, yo, it's ridiculous. They're clowning us in Barclay for the amount of Steph Curry fans that are in there. Durant said on the latest episode of the ETCS with Kevin Durant, I'm like, yo, do you not see him in this arena, every arena? So what Kevin Durant is saying that he believes that he's the MVP, he knows that Steph Curry is loved by every single fan. It doesn't matter where you go. Everybody wants to be Steph Curry because he ruined the game of basketball. He really did. If you're not averaging 30 or 35 three-pointers a game, you're not winning an NBA game. Most good teams are averaging between 28 and 35 three-pointers a game. So I think he's ruined the game. But for anybody to think that Steph Curry is better than Kevin Durant is crazy. It's a crazy argument. To me, the predominant MVP of the NBA, Speedy, 
Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is averaging two more points a game overall than Steph Curry is, and now is only a tenth of an assist behind. So, yes, the numbers are definitely better for him now. If you want to pick the numbers, go look at his team and where his team yeah, is. Yeah, Steph Curry is only a percentage point above in threes, and uh, obviously he's a better free throw shooter because he's been the best free throw shooter for a while, but again, that's only 5%. It's not like Kevin Durant's shooting 70%. He's shooting 88%, so it's still very, very good. And he does more defensively. He does more in terms of versatility. He can play the three, can play the four. This was a stretch of two where no Kyrie Irving. James Harden was awful for two months at the beginning of the season. Now he's playing better finally, but still. This is also a better Eastern Conference as well. So it's not like you're playing in the top-heavy East of the past where you had three good teams and everyone else was below 500 or at 500. This has been a better all-around East with Miami, Milwaukee, Chicago, teams like that. Even the Cavaliers, who we just talked with Matt about, playing very well this season. So I agree with you on Durant being the MVP in terms of the fans. For one thing, Nets fans, they're still kind of... We don't they're Knicks fans. But yeah, some of them are still Knicks fans. They're still the same fan base that had to have James Harden sell their playoff tickets outside the stadium because they couldn't sell out Barclays Center. So yeah, Nets fans, yeah, okay, I can see where that's coming from. But also... Kevin Durant is also continuing to assert his kind of villain role. All the NBA fans across the country hated him for going to Golden State initially, and then there was the Twitter accounts thing with all the five burner accounts and all that, so he's still kind of taking on that role of villain, where I don't know if really Steph Curry has done that kind of thing. So No, he's I, beloved, no matter what he does. Yeah, so I, I, I can see what he He could throw his mouthpiece <laughs> at women or men out in the audience and it wouldn't matter to him. Oh, it's Steph Curry, who cares? Oh yeah, I'm sure if any kid picks that up, he might want an autograph for all we know, but mm. still. Maybe I, think, I should I I think Kevin Durant is kind of rebirthing that villain role again just because of now this MVP feud with, again, with his former teammate, too. So it elevates it further. It's not like you're elevating a rivalry with, say, Luka Doncic, who he has really no grudges with. It's Steph Curry, who was his former teammate. And we had the podcast clip a couple of weeks ago, the, all the stuff that went on with Golden State and his, I guess, ugly exit from there with Draymond Green and Steph Curry and all that stuff. So you definitely could sell that there's a grudge. And now he's trying to get that role of a villain again. And stop it with the fans not giving this guy credit. I am not a Kevin Durant fan. I am a Nick fan. I don't want to see Kevin Durant win an MVP. I don't want to see Durant and Brooklyn win a championship the Knicks haven't won in 40-something years since the 70s. I don't want to see it, but you want to know something? To take away from what this guy is doing right now, and yes, they're right now tied in first place with the Chicago Bulls, which, by the way, are playing unbelievable. Zach Levine and DeRozan are the best tandems right now in the league. Who would have thought that? But the Brooklyn Nets, with all the injuries they had in the COVID situation, Kevin Durant has been the predominant number one guy all season long. And now he's going to play with that chip on his shoulder. All these statements, all these responses now with the fans, these Brooklyn Nets fans, are going to definitely fire him up some more. Who wouldn't? Your own freaking fans don't want you to win. The only question remains with him. One, his own injury status. Because How could you sit here as a player for your team and you're, you're hearing Steph Curry chants in your own stadium when you're playing Steph Curry? Would you be happy? No. MVP for Steph Curry? You're trying to win a championship in Brooklyn and your fans are rooting for Steph Curry? Give me a break. Proves everything you need to know about Nets fans, for one. But also proves that there could be quite some storylines brewing if, say, there is a Warriors-Nets finals, which would be torture for a lot of NBA fans, but would be fun for a lot of others. Absolutely. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, before crunch time and debate wars, we are going to have one more segment, and we're going to get into some hockey. Who does this benefit being out as long as they had for the last two weeks for the NHL? Does it benefit the Islanders or the Rangers? It seems like it's benefiting the Islanders, as I said it would. We will get into the Islanders and Rangers, and we will get into the lockout or the strike or whatever the hell you want to call it. Buck Showalter does his 
round robin here in New York and throughout the country with his thoughts of taking over for the New York Mets. When we come back, we'll get into Buck and the Mets and the Yankees as well here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, I am Biggie, the magnificent guest, Errol Marks. We are the Weekend Crunch and my co-host, Speedy, the delinquent PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World, Wide Sports Radio Network. Uh, remember, uh, you can download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I could dance on the radio. I could dance the beats. I can dance to the Matrix. I can dance with my feet. Uh, you like that? I, I get a little You're ride. enter the Matrix. Yeah, right. I, I enter everything. How's mom doing, by the way? Yeah, she's doing all right. Yeah, did she invite me over for dinner or what? No. Why not? Why is it when I am on the radio, if it's not the sports loudmouths, I try to invite myself to your family dinners <laughs> and I don't get invited. I never get an invitation from your family. I'm heartbroken. What did you have for the holidays anyway? Did mom make anything fancy or fantastic to eat? And why haven't you brought me a, one of her famous dishes? So Christmas Eve, we had managot. Oh, managot. And uh, my brother Ryan actually was in charge of making the, uh, the, crepe, the crepe layers for that. Uh-oh. So credit to him as well. And I uh, had some sausage and meatball on the side with Ooh. that. And very, very good. And then Christmas. Well, you love your sausage. You like dark, right? I did. And spicy. Dark and spicy. No white. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's we, too bland. Yeah, we made both of them because my father also likes that. Oh, he likes the white sauce. He like no, he likes the hot like I do. Oh, and you then, like the hot sauce? Yeah, we're more of the spicy food types. It's funny. My mother actually can't tolerate it at all. Like there was actually a time when I was in college between my college radio show and then we were going to broadcast a baseball game. We went to get five guys in between, and I ordered the Cajun fries. And she doesn't even eat it. She just sniffed Cajun it. fries. Yeah, you yeah. like Cajun? I fries? do. But like, sweet potato, baby. All right. Well, they don't have them there. But <laughs> onion Ringos. I love onion rings. Yes, they are quite tasty. But uh, never- quite tasty. Like the sausage. <laughs> little speedy in the sausage. So nevertheless, they go pick one up to eat it, and then she just randomly encounters it in her nose, and her nose starts to itch. That's how little of tolerance she Mom, has Mom, well, I better get an invitation. I better absolutely get an invitation to that dinner that I should be invited to every month, but I don't. But thank you to Mom and Dad, Cloyber, Speedy's Mommy, and Daddy. Anyways, I want to get into some hockey and we'll get a little baseball in before we get into crunch time and debate wars. It's so interesting when you look at the NHL and we talk about Gary Bettman being the best commissioner in sports. It's not saying much, especially what we've seen with Rob Manford and this lockout, which I think is going to hurt baseball. What we've seen Roger Goodell do. Yes, these guys are bringing in money for these organizations. And yes, the TV deals are absolutely astronomical. And and Adam Silver seems like he's LeBron James, you know what. He might as well be LeBron James's dog because whatever LeBron James says, it happens to be, and it goes. And by the way, LeBron James, he's done very well. His team has been absolutely horrible, the Lakers. But you look at the NHL, and you look at where it was a couple of weeks ago when the Islanders were so COVID out, and the NHL decided not to cancel games. The Islanders lost like nine games, ten games in a row before they finally got a win in overtime or got a tie in overtime with no points. And, and, and with all the injuries and all the situations with COVID, I thought the NHL should have cut the games earlier in the season. Late November, early December, the game should have been cut to the beginning of January. 
Well, they didn't, and, and you see what happened. And then all of a sudden with the Montreal Canadiens, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Ottawa Senators, when COVID started to spread out over there in Canada, well, you know what they're going to do? They'll cancel the games for two or three weeks. Does it benefit some of these teams that are have a fighting right now injuries? Yes. Did it benefit the Islanders? Absolutely did, but it could be too little too late for the New York Islanders. The Islanders came back the other day. They won a game against the Sabres. I'm not surprised. We are talking about the Buffalo Sabres. But early in the season, Buffalo was just killing the Islanders. They were not the Islander team that we thought they were going to be. Coming back the other day, we see what Barzell could be, if he could start skating. And this team, winning 4-1 against the Sabres, I want to see this team start playing harder. I think Barry Trotz getting his voice out, being that they had this time to sit out and figure out from right and wrong. I think the Islanders are going to be a better team moving forward. As far as the Rangers are concerned, I think this is going to hurt the Rangers. I really do because the Rangers are playing very good hockey. They have the momentum. Now, does it help them in the goaltending category? Yes, it does because it gives their goaltender, Sestorkin, a little bit of time to, to get healthy. But the Rangers, in their first game back uh, against Florida, they did not play well. And obviously, last night against the Lightning, it was back and forth, too. So. I think this is affected and it is going to affect the Rangers because we saw this a couple of years ago. The Islanders weren't playing good hockey, and then the COVID-19 started to spread. Then the bubble started to happen. The Rangers were playing great hockey. They were moving forward, and then all of a sudden they came back. The Rangers played like crap. The Islanders won like nine games in a row or eight games in a row, and there she goes. There she blows. But the Rangers have such a good lead on the Islanders right now and a lot of these teams in the Eastern Conference. Even if they go into this losing streak, The Islanders have to win like five, six games in a row three or four times to catch up to the teams that are in front of them. So the Islanders are going to have to play catch-up, even though it's still early and the Islanders could catch them. And the Rangers, they can play 500 hockey right now and make the playoffs, Speedy. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the splits as well. You mentioned the Canadian teams versus some of the American teams that got hit with it, the Islanders being one of them, the Bruins another one, Nashville another one. There's a couple of those like fringe teams that, again, should be better than they are, and maybe these rules that have happened with them and these not delaying the games more is definitely something that could affect them in comparison and to some of the Canadian teams like Vancouver, who was hit by it. They were on a seven-game winning streak that just ended yesterday against the LA Kings. So it'll be definitely interesting to see how those splits go. The Rangers lost to a, F- a Florida Panthers team that's very good. I'm not going to judge one game as being the sole basis. I've never been a proponent of judging streaks as being a big deal anyway. So the Rangers just have to be consistent as a whole and not let it get to them. Florida just also put up nine goals on Tampa Bay, too. So it shows how good of a team they are. We'll see on that. The Islanders definitely coming back nicely against the Sabres. It's one game as well. It's the Sabres. The Sabres were good for a month, and now they've back to closer to the basement where they love to be in the last 15 years. So not surprising there. Can they string some wins together is a good thing for the Islanders. They have a chance still with the Flyers having some COVID issues as well. The Blue Jackets not being a great team. Detroit's in the second wild card spot. I mean, I don't think any of us are expecting that to last. But if the Islanders keep struggling, maybe it will. And then will they be able to leapfrog a team like the Bruins who have had the similar COVID issues and have lost a lot of games because of that? The Bruins have only played 26 games as well. The Islanders have played 27. So that could be an interesting race in terms of the games at hand if they can only afford to do it in the wild card too. And then the Penguins are the first wild card spot who have 39 points, but still are kind of an older team. So definitely still some room for the Islanders if they can get on a nice streak. Absolutely. To me, what the Rangers should be concerned about is really the momentum and what this team is. They they haven't been in this position in a very long time in the last couple of years now with a coach a new coach a rookie coach this year he's not a rookie coach in the NHL but a rookie coach this year you're going to be playing catch up 
And that's, to me, a very important thing for the Rangers, Speedy. I mean, your thoughts with this goaltending situation, they don't really have a backup goaltender moving forward in the rest of the season. So I have to depend on their young, young, talented goaltenders historically. Yeah. Well, he's going to play the majority anyway. It's not like it's a 1A, 1B type split like a lot of other teams. He's obviously the number one. Georgiev just went on the COVID list, and so now Keith Kincaid is back to being the backup, who I personally have always liked more than Georgiev anyway. So, all right. But Shostorkin should be playing most of the games as it is, and I hope he does get that chance to do so. And it'll be interesting to judge the injury recovery versus the rust with a young goalie, too, because it is a very injury-prone position. And when you have these goaltenders that have gotten hurt earlier in their careers, will it help them be able to adjust it for it right away? Will it hurt them where they have it affect their mental state, too? Because it's a position that you're the one guy. You're the last line of defense. It can be very tough on you mentally for a young goalie, especially in a position where the Rangers are in, where they're doing a lot better than people expected. They're right now three points behind the Capitals and the Carolina Hurricanes right now. So they're contending. They're doing well. Just, yeah, can they adjust to be able to do that? Tough loss against the Panthers. Three goals in the third period. Not good. Not a good start, but hopefully they can bounce back. And Brock Nelson coming back for the Islanders. Pulak coming back sometime early January. I mean, this could be the perfect time for the Islanders to have those winning streaks where the Islanders can win three, four, five games in a row, get back to competitive hockey where they can catch Philadelphia, they can catch Columbus and the teams that are in front of them, and then fight for that last wild card spot or the second to last wild card spot where they could squeak into the playoffs and no team. No team is going to want to play the Islanders in the first round, especially with the young talent that they have that have been into the playoffs the way they have, the way this defense is set up to really dominate in the playoffs. So I'm very interested to see moving forward what the Islanders are and what they could do with the trade deadline with uh, Lula Morello. I think he's going to make the moves that they probably need to become a more offensive, talented team. And I want to see Palmieri play better. I want to see some of these players start to play better. As far as the MLB is concerned, there's a lot to say with Buck when he was introduced the last couple of weeks really a week and a half. He's done his little, I guess, back and forth with ESPN and WFAN and CBS here in New York. He's been on all the radio shows, but hours. I, I would love to get Buck on our show to talk a little Mets baseball. But, you know, it's so interesting about Buck because I think Buck is one of the more respectable managers in baseball. He really is. And a lot of people were pushing for Buck to get this job with the Mets. You talk about the GM position. We didn't know where the Mets were going. They interviewed like 25 people before they landed Epler. But I think Buck was the best predominant manager that was available this offseason. And landing Buck, it really solidifies where the Mets are and what the Mets could be this year if they can get it all together. Now, adding a guy like Max Scherzer, if he could stay healthy with his shoulder problem at the end of the dead arm or whatever they say he had, he's got to stay healthy this year because their third and fourth guy, I'm not too excited about, especially what they did in the second half of the season with Walker. I expect this team to be a better offensive team. They added Marte, who could steal bases. He had 57 stolen bases last year. One of the faster guys on the bases, which the Mets have not had since Carlos Beltran. Nearly led both leagues and stolen bases. <laughs> yes. I think it's going to change the offense. It's going to give them more opportunities to get RBIs and may, might help Lindor out, might help guys like Pete Alonso out as far as offensive is concerned. Do they move him as their number one from Nimmo, who uh, has been the number one hitter really for the last couple of years? I think Marte would be a very big positional player as far as defensively is concerned at center field, but do you move Nimmo 
to bat second and move Marte as your number one guy because he's going to get on base. He's going to steal bases. He's going to give you better opportunities to get you more runs. So it's going to be very interesting how Buck is going to situate this team in this lineup. But I, I really like Buck Showalter. I really like what he had to say. And if you're a Mets fan, you should be very excited for all the moves that they made this offseason. But really, Buck Showalter is the lead guy moving forward in their dugout. I don't think there's one obvious leadoff spot to answer that question because remember, with the athletics too, Mark Kana also hit leadoff when he was there too. That was even with Marte there. So both those guys know how to get on base and have good speed. Obviously, Marte's the better raw stolen base guy, but it'll be interesting because they've had, the Mets have had different rotations of leadoff hitters as well. They had McNeil at some point, they had Nimmo, and when McNeil was hurt, then they reversed it back. They've had different options, and I think Buck's going to change that way too. And it also depends on playing time as well, because Marte and Kana should be starting consistently, but a guy like McNeil, a guy like Nimmo, even Dominic Smith throwing in there, not that he'd lead off, but a guy that they could throw in there, J.D. Davis, if he's still there, too. I would imagine one of them's going to be traded, but if they're all still there, they're going to platoon in some facet because none of them have really earned the job of obvious shoe-in starters. And now getting Kana, getting Marte, and Eduardo Escobar, too, in that mix, definitely could change that kind of platoon for him. And it'll be interesting with Buck Showalter, too, because he's used to these teams that have more of these obvious traditional lineups, too, where the Orioles, they had their set guys, with their outfielders, with Machado, with J.J. Hardy when he was there, Chris Davis, Matt Wieters, the Rangers, Nelson Cruz, Josh Hamilton, Elvis Anders, Michael Young. They had those set guys where they didn't really have a lot of extra platooning to do, but Buck still kind of made that kind of thing work. Now with the Mets, they have kind of that similar where these guys are all good at certain spurts, but not great at one thing. So will he be able to adjust to that kind of things with the analytics too, because he's more of an old school manager. Whereas the analytics department that the Mets have, we'll see if they can help him out too, maybe to evolve his game too, because the Orioles really didn't help him out with that. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we have for our final segment of the first day of the year? We have the New Year's 2022 version of Debate Wars and Crunch Time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, the first show of the year, The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol, New York, Marks, and Speedy, the New Year boy, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download! The Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, Speedy, the final segment of the first show of the year. Are you ready? For January 1st, we do it the number one drop at the network. We begin with Debate Wars and this great drop. This is the Debate Hour. And now in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a shit? All right, let's start with the NFL. Better linebacker that was once a New York Jet, Jonathan Vilma or Bart Scott? I'm going to take Jonathan Vilma in this one for two reasons. One, I think he was a little better in coverage than Bart Scott was. Bart Scott 
kind of that traditional run tackling linebacker, but was not as fast, rangy side to side like Jonathan Vilma was. And even Jonathan Vilma with the Saints later in his career, I think he had better longevity with that. And also Bart Scott got to play with Ray Lewis too. Jonathan Vilma really had to be his own game. I know David Harris was also good. I know they had other good linebackers, but he was the number one guy, whereas Scott really wasn't for his whole career. So I'm going to go with Vilma. I'm going to go with Bart Scott. The famous saying, I can't wait. He took this team all the way to the AFC title game. He was a big part of taking this team to the AFC title game. Jonathan Vilma was there. He was a good linebacker, but he didn't stay there longer than four or five years. He went over there to New Orleans, and he he did better in New Orleans. I think that Bart Scott was the heart and soul of this defense, so I'm going to go with Bart Scott. All right, let's go to the NHL. Who is the better Sergei defenseman? Sergei Gonchar or Sergei Zuboff? I'm going to take Sergei Zuboff. I'm a little biased with being a Ranger fan, but even though Gonchar had more points in his career, I thought Zuboff more physical guy, which the Rangers have lacked for a long time since then. Even with Dallas going to that Stanley Cup team, I think they both played with Dallas at certain points. Might have been teammates later in their careers, but he was the more physical guy, I thought. Not that Gonchar wasn't physical, but in that tougher era of hockey, I think that matters. I'm going to go with Zubov. I'm going to go with Sergei Gonchar. First of all, Sergei Gonchar could be a Hall of Famer. Defensively, 220 goals, 591 assists, almost 900 points, and 33 plus minus. I think that Gonchar was the better overall, all-around offensive type of player. Like I said, he was a border line Hall of Famer. He won a cup. Sergei Zuboff was a part of that championship 9014, but he wasn't the big defenseman. He wasn't that number one defensive pairing for the New York Rangers. So I'm going to go with Sergei Gonchar. All right. Better basketball player that was known for their defense. Dikembe Matumbo or Michael Cooper? This is a close call. I'm actually going to go with Cooper on this one. I know Matumbo's the flashier name, but I think he also did well with the passing to 4.2 assists. I know the Lakers are obviously a much better team than anything that Matumbo played for with Denver and with Philadelphia later on, but I think that kind of matters. And also, good perimeter defenders were very rare. Still rare in today's game, but they're harder to find where there are a lot of good big men. And Matumbo, obviously, with his height, definitely an advantage to just rebound and block shots. So I'm going to go with Cooper. I'm going to go with Dikembe Matumbo with the finger pointing and waving his finger in the air. I mean, he really revolutionized the defensive center position. What did he average? Four blocks a game or something like that. This guy was one of the elite shot blockers in NBA history. Defensively, he was the backbone. He was really what defense was as a center in the league. So I'm going to go with Dikembe Matumbo. All right, one more for baseball. So two guys right on the last year of their Hall of Fame eligibility, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. So who was the better player with their first team? So Barry Bonds with the Pirates or Roger Clemens with the Red Sox? Who was more dominant? Uh, I'm going to take Barry Bonds with the Pirates. I know Roger Clemens was with the Red Sox longer and was one of their standout pitchers for a while, but Barry Bonds with the Pirates, 231 stolen bases, still had a monstrous home run total even before he took the steroids too. Even though it was pre-steroid era, it still was more of a hitting era where the home runs had to come later too. And that's a big ballpark that the Pirates always play and They always play in pitching ballparks too. And his playoff numbers are very good. They went to a couple NLCSs, lost to the Braves in one crucial one, and Barry Bonds a big part of that. So I'm going to go with Barry Bonds. I'm going to go with Barry Bonds too. A 400 home runs, 400 stolen bases. Only player to ever do that at the time that he did it in such a short period. Uh, seven goal gloves with the Pittsburgh Pirates before he went to San Francisco. He was a Hall of Famer already. Roger Clemens, he was a great pitcher. He struck out over 3,000 batters. When you look at the Red Sox, he wasn't the predominant big star on that. I mean, Wade Boggs was with those teams over the years. So I'm going to go with Barry Bonds. I mean, he was sensational. All right. So that will conclude Debate Wars for the new year. And now we go to the first 2022 Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. So in 2022, we will start with somebody that's close to 2,000, and that is 2,000 yards for Cooper Cup. 
buy or sell. Cooper Cup will get to 2,000 receiving yards. He needs 266 yards. Their final two matchups against the Ravens and the 49ers. I'm going to buy it. I I think he will. I think he's going to hit that. He's having one of the greatest wide receiving years in NFL history. He's definitely an MVP candidate. I think everybody puts Taylor, Aaron Rodgers, and Tom Brady, but this guy's have a sensational year. I think, to me, he's in my top three. So I'm going to go yes, and I'm going to buy it. I'll buy it, too. The Ravens have had a lot of secondary injuries, and I think the Rams as well, once they solidify their playoff position, they're going to be able to force feed Cooper Cup a little more. They didn't do it enough in the first meeting against the 49ers, and you know they're going to keep the 49ers out, too. I think they'll definitely use him a lot more and be able to do better in that second matchup. I will buy it. All right, buy or sell. The L.A. Lakers will trade Russell Westbrook this season. I'm going to sell it. I think they still have to figure it out. I still think they can win with the team that they have right now. The fact that Davis has been out with all the injuries that he's had, I think it's affected the growth as a team. When he does come back and he's at the top of his game, I think they'll figure it out with Russell Westbrook. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I think the contract as well being very big is going to make it very hard for a lot of these contending teams that have these quote-unquote super teams to take on. If he is going to get traded, it's probably going to be on another younger team. I think the Lakers will be able to adjust with it. I think they're kind of in too deep with this older veteran identity, so I think they're going to hold on to it the whole season, so I am going to sell it. Alright, buy or sell? This is a rumor that was brought up. The New York Rangers interested in Timo Meyer of the San Jose Sharks, a winger. Buy or sell? They will make that trade. Sell it. I don't think it's going to happen. They could be interested in all they want. They don't really have any money to spend, and Timo Meyer is a free agent after this year, so why would they do that where they're going to put themselves in a position where they're not going to be able to resign him? So I am going to sell it. I'm going to sell it too, only because I think their other younger offensive players will start being more consistent in the second half of the season for the Rangers. They have this depth that they haven't been able to get consistently going. I think Lafreniere could play even some center a little bit, and I think that'll end up helping them go. I think the Rangers, if they're going to make a trade, it's going to be for either a center, like a raw center, or it'll be for a defenseman, a veteran-type defenseman to help their depth. So I will sell it as well. All right, buy or sell. Michigan's running game will have more rushing yards than Georgia's. I'm going to sell it. I think Georgia's defense is a better run-stopping defense. Also, I think they have the better running back, so I'm going to sell it. I'll buy it for the reason I think they're going to use JT Daniels in this game. I think they're going to have to, really, to stretch the field a lot more. So I think Michigan will be forced to run the ball a lot more, whereas Georgia, if they do have JT Daniels being able to sling the ball around, I think they will end up having more rushing yards. Both of them will rush the better. I think Georgia will still win the game, but I think that because of JT Daniels, they won't run the ball as often. I am going to buy that. Buy or sell the Chiefs-Bengals matchup. Three out of four of Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase will have 100 yards. I believe that. I, I'm going to buy that, especially with the teams that they're playing against. I just think they're predominantly not good defensive teams. I think all three players are going to get over 100 yards. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. And I actually think the least likely to do so is Kelsey for the reason of the Bengals are good over the middle of the field. Logan Wilson's been a very good coverage linebacker, and Jesse Bates a nice coverage safety. The Chiefs' corners haven't been great this year. I think both Higgins and Chase will have a be on a tear. Tyreek Hill, I think, definitely will because Cincinnati's corners aren't great. But if there's anyone not likely to, it's Kelsey. I think the other three definitely will. I will buy that. All right, buy or sell. The Mets will either trade Dominic Smith or Jeff McNeil. I'm going to buy that. I think Jeff McNeil's gone. I think with all the acquisitions that they made, and I think the Mets aren't done, I think they'll have more infield help. I just think Jeff McNeil had a bad, bad season. I think with the high grade of who he is as a player and he can hit for average, he had a bad season this year. I still think he could hit for average. Maybe he moves to the American League or the National League with the DH. You could put him at the DH. I will buy it. I'm going to buy it, but I'm going to disagree. I think Dominic Smith is the one more likely to be traded. McNeil is off kind of a down year for him. Not that Smith had a great year either, but Smith provides the defensive first base, which is very hard to find in today's game, and a left-handed bat. And a left-handed bat that could hit against lefties too, and I think that's hard to find in today's game. So I think he's more likely to 
to be traded, but I agree they'll definitely move one of them. I will buy it. All right, you mentioned this earlier. The Nixon talks for Karis LeVert. Buy or sell, they make it happen. I'm going to buy it. Karis LeVert is not going to be too expensive, and I think with the Knicks, you give up a first-round draft pick, you bring in Karis LeVert, who could be a superstar. He's still very fairly young. He's played very well with Indianapolis, and Indiana, they look like they're going to trade away pieces, so I'm going to buy it. I think it could happen. I want it to happen. I'm going to sell it, though, because I think the Knicks still have a lot of wings that I think they, they still would trust. They brought in Fournier. They still have R.J. Barrett, who they have to really ride out at this point. I don't think they could really start just saying, oh, no, he's not developing right. I still think they have enough wings. I think if the Knicks are going to make a trade, it's either going to be for a big man or if maybe they swap Kemba and they go for another point guard or something like that with these trade rumors. I don't think Levert's the guy they're going to be looking at. So I'm going to disagree. I am going to sell that. Buy or sell. Both Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott will have 250-plus yards and two touchdowns. I'm going to buy that. I think both players are going to have a good game. Both defenses are fairly good, but in the open field, they have not been good the last couple of games, so I am going to buy it. I like it, too. I'll buy it as well. Kyler Murray will outplay Dak in this game just because I think the rushing yards and Dallas' secondary outside of Diggs still being kind of shaky doesn't bode well for them. The, The Cowboys receivers have had iffy drop problems in recent weeks, too, and I think the Cowboys will run the ball a little more, but I do think both will end up with two touchdowns. I don't think that's much to ask. I am going to buy that. Buy or sell. The Yankees will end up with one of Carlos Correa or Trevor Story. I'm going to buy it. They could bring in Trevor Story. If they bring in Carlos Correa, then Volpe is not the future shortstop of the team. They're going to have to move him to third base, so they're going to have to decide on what they're going to do with DJ LeMayo, if they're going to move him to first base, or they're going to trade Gleyber Torres. So it's definitely going to change the thought of what this infield is going to be in the future. So I'm going to buy that it could be Trevor Story or Correa. I think it's one of the other. Yeah, I think I'm going to buy it too, because I think Story could be an interesting fallback option if they don't get Correa. I know Correa is the main with the rumors right now, but remember, Trevor Story also played with DJ LeMahieu too. That has to be some kind of incentive in Brian Cashman's mind, you would think. Even if he doesn't play shortstop, even with Volpe too, they can move him all over the place. He's played second before and LeMahieu can move all over the place too, so I will buy it. All right, buy or sell. Both New York goaltenders will finish in the top 10 of goals against at the end of the season. I buy it. I think both goaltenders have played very well this year. Sorokin, with all the lack of defense, he's been sensational. He's been one of the best goalies in the league. So I'm going to buy it. So Sorokin has been fantastic, too. I'll buy it, too. I think Sorokin is definitely going to get it going. I know he was in the two fours before the Islanders' COVID break, and then He's been in the two twos, two ones at different stretches. His save percentage is fantastic. It's just Sturkin's right there, too. He's only had a couple bad games this season as a whole, so I would definitely get to buy that as well. All right, buy or sell. The winner of the Michigan-Georgia game will beat the winner of the Alabama-Cincinnati. I'm going to buy that. I think Georgia's going to win the whole thing, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I like the revenge factor for Georgia, and I like the Michigan, with all those tragedies that have happened in Michigan, if they beat Georgia, who's been the consensus number one team for all of this, and a similar identity to them, I think they could definitely beat Alabama as well. So I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. Both Jalen Waddle and A.J. Brown will have five-plus catches and 80-plus yards. Uh, I'm going to sell that. Jalen Waddle coming back from injury. He's been all right. In the first half of the season, he's been sensational. He's kind of taken a step a little bit back, but I like Jalen Waddle, so I'm going to say no. I'm going to sell it, too, because I think the Titans' defense has been good at game planning for number one receivers a lot of the time. We were just talking about Cooper Cup early. He probably had his worst game of the season against the Titans because they were able to game plan. Not that they have great corners, but Mike Vrabel's just a great coach, so I think they'll definitely be able to game plan for a while, and the Dolphins really don't have that other option, so I'm going to sell it. One more. Both Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Taylor will have 100-plus yards rushing. I'm going to buy that. Both guys have been sensational this year. I think Josh Jacobs, when he came back, he's just on a tear. If the guy could stay on the field, I think he's one of the top three, top four running backs 
quarterbacks in the league, so I'm going to buy that. I'm going to sell it just because I don't know how much they're going to use him as much in comparison to Peyton Barber, who this interim coach loves to use a lot. And then also the Colts, their front, especially in the interior, is a good running game, and Jacobs is more of an inside runner than an outside runner. I think the Raiders will win the game more on the outside presence more than inside, so I am going to sell that Jacobs won't. Taylor will, of course. He's been phenomenal. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the first show of the year. I would like to wish everybody a happy new year. We will be back next week. Definitely a new guest. Really appreciate all the fans that listen to us. I hope everybody enjoys our show and and what we put on paper when it comes to radio for the sports fans. Really appreciate all the fans. Go Islanders. I'm sure you're going to say go Rangers. And let's go Knicks. Jets and Giants, you better figure out something. Yeah. And this lockout, please, end already. It's going to ruin baseball. We'll be back next week. Until then, this is Errol Marks, Speedy Beatty, saying good night and happy new year. Good night, everybody.